Welcome to the Living Parables Podcast, where we uncover spiritual truth and lessons God has given us through His Word and our own life stories. I am Nate, your host. To all the listeners tuning in the show today, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate all of you, and now let us begin. Well, brothers and sisters, we are coming to the wonderful conclusion of Colossians. And I'll tell you that so far it has been such a blessing. God willing, uh, we will be continuing on with our book studies. But in Colossians, especially last week, what a blessing that was. Wasn't that such a wonderful time going through Colossians 3, 1 through 17? What a just what a jam-packed, powerful, deep spiritual truth lesson that was. And not because I gave it, not because I studied it, it's because of the glories and riches of God, in whom, in Christ, are all wisdom and knowledge. And so, as we come to the end of Colossians, the third chapter, we are going to be talking today about something very, very sensitive to today's culture. It is something that is been twisted into something that it's not. And like I just said previously, it is a very touchy subject. But every person needs to hear what God has to say in regards to the family. The church needs to be bold and needs to proclaim the truth of God regarding the family. So with that being said, we're, we are in Colossians, the third chapter, and we're going to be reading verses 18 through 25. Starting in the 18th verse, it says, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service, as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily, as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Well, that was a lot there. And before we begin, I'm going to ask you a few questions. When you heard those seven verses, what came to mind? Were you nodding in your head in agreement with the Lord? about his ordination of the family? Did you meet it with hostility? Did it make you squirm in your chair a little bit when you heard this? 
today the family has been ripped to shreds. Today the family has become something that it's not supposed to be. Today the family has turned from what God intended it to be into something that it's not supposed to be. And let me just say this before you start jumping to conclusions, before you start getting angry and turning this off, that I am a husband to an amazing wife. I have four wonderful boys, all of various ages, from a senior in high school all the way down to a two-year-old. And I will tell you, God's design works. God's design is meant for a reason. We have two choices in the matter. We could either obey or we can disobey. And I've heard things said in today's culture and society. Love is love no matter what. No matter what face it's on it, no matter what gender it is, love is love. And I will just say that there is a love that we all possess for others, not in a romanticized physical love that is a vulgar display of what God intended it to be. God intended man and woman to be two separate sexes. God intended the family to be a man and a woman that produce children. That is the end of the story. And what Satan does is cleverly, I'll give him that, introduce love and tolerance in which that's not what love and tolerance is. And so what happens is we, as created beings who are flawed, deeply flawed, we don't want to obey what God has to say. So what do we have to do? We have to rewrite and redesign what God intended the family to be, to suit our own desires. And if you study the Bible at all, the Israelites constantly, constantly disobeyed, constantly disobeyed the living God. They were constantly wandering away from his truth, his way, his design. And it always led them to judgment every single time. Nothing, my friends, has changed. God does not change. His book, his law, his way, his design does not change. So what's the problem, Nate? The problem is that we don't want to obey God, so we we flip the script. We change it. Oh, God's word is outdated, and this is not what he actually meant. Let me tell you something right now. The people that say that this is what the Bible really means, and those are the people that don't know Scripture at all. Those are the people you don't want to listen to. Because 
We've said this before, and we'll say it again on this show. The meaning of the scripture is the scripture. The Bible interprets itself. And what we do is we take the Bible out of context. We take the Bible out of context. And so let me give you an example. I was talking to a couple about miracles. And this couple was telling me that they believe that man performs miracles to this very same day. And I said, no, they don't. Well, how, how could you say that? What, what about the apostles? Well, that was that was for the apostles to show that they were sent of God to have that authority. Now, we're not going to get too deep in that, but here's what they quoted. They quoted the scripture that says, whether two or more are gathered in my name, there I am with them. If you go to its context, the context is in church discipline. It has nothing to do with healing at all. Do you see the problem there? So what we try to do is we try to cherry pick what God says in his word and twist what he says. And in reality, that's not what he meant at all. So if we're talking about church discipline, how can we be talking about miracles? Now, don't get so upset, some of you, because I do believe that God does perform miracles today. I, I truly believe that. There are some medical miracles that people have cancer, and the next thing you know, the next week, it's all the way gone. I believe God does do miracles to this day, just not in the same way that we have read them in Scripture. And so why are we talking about this right now? Because people and their natural sinful selves constantly wander away from God's way. That's why the Bible calls us sheep. We always, we always are led astray by the things of this world, the desires of the flesh. Again, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's, that's what happens. And yet, how does how does God keep us in, in in the flock, into his into his hands? Well, his grip is too strong for us to let go. We can let go, but he will never let go if we're truly his. But you know, scripture keeps us in line. Scripture keeps the flock together. Prayer keeps us together, keeps us close with him. Gathering with the saints. Again, studying his word, preaching and teaching the word. Those things are the things that we need, we need to do in order to stay close to God. Because the smaller amount we pray, the time that goes between prayers, maybe it was like, I pray like several times a day and now it turns into once a day. And then it's once a week and then it's once a month. Same same way with script, we're reading scripture. I'm reading it several times during the week and then it turns to one time a week. And then it turns to one time a month. Then it's months and then it's years. We have to constantly have a desire to be near and draw near to God. 
because the promise is that he will draw near to us then. So going back to family relations, God has ordained the family to be a man and a woman and then producing children. That is the end of the story. It doesn't get any clearer than that. And anyone that tries to tell you any different is not of God. That's the truth. That's the hard truth. And you know what? This is not going to be popular. This would get me shut down. This would get me ostracized. And you know what? I'm not worried about that. I've already been ostracized from the world. I have been set apart. I'm fine with that. I, I, I would welcome the heat. Because in my humble opinion, the reason why we are having such a difficult time in this country, the reason why you're seeing the chaos, the reason why you're seeing the hardships in school and the breakdowns of families is because we have deviated from God and his way. People have accepted, and I'm talking about our governments, have accepted what the family is not. And they praise and they normalize it. And that is not true. If you're not in God's will, if you're not in God's path, if you're not following him, you're following your father, the devil. And he says in scripture, talking about God here, God says that the devil is the father of all lies. So, What's one of the biggest lies right now? Hey, a family can be a man and a man and children. A family could be a woman and woman and children. We don't even need marriage at all. We could just live together and you know have have sex whenever we want. And hey, if we want to have kids, we can. And you know, we'll 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 just keep it a casual thing. Hey, I'm a man and a woman together, but we're living together before we get married. You see how this just got real real quick? And some of you probably right now are kind of gritting your teeth like, ooh, he said that, wow. And you bet you I said that because people don't want to hear the truth anymore. And I cannot sit idly by and, and let all these things, these lies happen without truth. But guess what's happening? The truth, there's not many voices that are speaking the truth. Now those, those voices are being dimmed out. They're being silenced. And the voices of those who are cheering on these so-called families, they are getting louder and louder and louder. You're seeing commercials promoting what the family is not. So it's making Christians who are true followers of Christ, they're making us look like the intolerant ones, the ones that don't love people, the ones that can't stand those people and hate those people. And I'm telling you right now, I don't hate anybody. That's, that is the honest to God truth. I don't hate anybody. We are called by God to love others and put others above ourselves. And I'm telling you right now, I've come across people that, live in those lifestyles. I've never been rude to them. I've never went up to them and said, you know, God says that you're going to go straight to hell. 
if you don't change your ways. That's, that's not what I'm called to do. Now, if there is a situation where people ask my opinion, then I have to be faithful to God's word and tell them the truth in love. Did you hear that? In love, seasoned with salt, with grace. No, being wise to be able to answer people in the right certain circumstances and situations. But I don't, I'm not, I'm not rude to those people. I'm not rude to anybody that's a sinner. You know what? I was a sinner once in need of grace, in need of Christ. I don't forget that. Yes, was I deep in the sin and doing all these things that were, you know, that would drop your jaw? Probably not. But I've done some things in the past that I'm not proud of, and I'm not going to go there. I was just as just as far away from God as these other people are. It's not my job to go out and, and crusade against them. That's not what this is about. And that's what some people have turned it into. They turn it into a witch hunt. And that's not what it is about at all. And yet, what do we do? We go and we attack people, and we we bring down the name of God for the sake of thinking that we're righteous and that they're not. And then we go attack them and, and belittle them. And then guess what? They want nothing to do with the church. And do you think that's what God wants? I don't. But I do think that when the opportunity does arise, we have to be people of God's truth. Because the most loving thing you can do to somebody else on this earth is to tell them the absolute truth. They may hate you for it, but they at least they know the truth. I would much rather be a person of truth and telling people the absolute truth in all these situations in love and them hate me forever for it, but going to heaven because eventually they they realize that God is right and that at least Nate was trying to tell me something that was true of God. And hey, eventually I listened, but um, I still don't want nothing, nothing to do with him. That's a pretty extreme example, but I, I think you get my point here. We have to be people of truth. And I know we haven't got into the, these verses yet, but I think you have to understand something very clear. Our world has twisted everything that God has called good into something that it's not. And God has not called us to be people that are following our own desires. And speaking of that, we talked about this great mystery, who is Christ Jesus. And this mystery is not just him, but it's him living within us. And so if he's living within us, we have the mind of Christ. We love the way he loves. We think the way he thinks, and we should speak the way he speaks. And well, how do we know how to do that? Well, it's found in Scripture. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the words of Christ. And so we have to be mindful of Christ and his teachings. That's why we should be reading the Gospels on a consistent basis, because we find out how Christ talks to people, how he loved people, how he had compassion on people. That's how we need to be with others. 
And I'm telling you something. I want to tell you this, though. I was at work. And, you know, I try to be a really thankful person, not for a, not for a show, but to truly thank people for the, th- the jobs that they do. Because a lot of times the jobs that we have are really thankless and we're just asked to be machines and, you know, we actually have emotions and feelings and, and we're going to find out here in just a little bit that it's, we don't do it to please men, but it's, it's good at times that people thank you for the job that you do. So I thank somebody for doing their job and it said that that made their day. And I was confused, like just being thankful. I mean, that doesn't happen anymore, people. So as a grateful people saved and bought by the precious blood of Christ, we ought to be the most thankful people on this planet. Yet we walk around smug, angry, tired, grumpy, upset, whatever word you want to throw in there. And in reality, we if you're thankful, you're not grumpy, you're not angry, you're not bitter. So if if you're saved through the blood of Christ and yet you're acting in those ways, you need to look at yourself in the mirror. But that's not what we're talking about here. So uh, with all of that being said, let's go ahead and dive in to family relations here, starting in verse 18 in Colossians 3. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Boy, oh boy, that wouldn't get you uh, attacked today. I don't know what else will. But let me say this here. Everything I'm saying here is God's ordained family unit. This is how he established the family, and it is us to be obedient to that, to understand that God has a great grand design for the family that we have to trust him. It says, wise be subject to your husbands. Now, subject means place rank under. And going a little bit deeper into that, it means the Greek verb means willingly putting oneself under someone or something. Now, I will just say this. Women are amazing creations of God. I'm married to a wonderful one, and I'm not saying this because I'm going to get in the doghouse, but I'm saying this because women are created uniquely different from men for a very specific purpose. There are many things that women are that I wish I had the qualities of. I just don't. And I don't, not just me specifically, but, but men do not have those qualities that women, women possess. Now, what God is saying here that wives, you must subject yourself to your husbands. Men are the spiritual leaders, the spiritual head of the household. And here's the problem. Men lately have dropped the ball hard. Men have become complacent, lazy, and completely spiritually dead. And the women have to do everything. And what makes me upset more than anything else is a lazy husband, lazy father who makes the wife do everything and is just here to because I help pay the bills. And so I need to sit here and 
sit on my lazy boy and you serve me and that'll be that. It goes much deeper than that. Because what says wives be subject to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. It's his design that way. Now, just like I was saying, men ought more often than not have become not worthy to be subject under. We Again, we've become lazy, complacent, and spiritually, I mean, I've met more spiritual women than I have men. And that's not because, again, my wife's listening to this or... You know, I have a lot of people that are women that listen to this, so I need to be really careful and and kind of you know soften that up a little bit. Now that that is the absolute truth. Men have just become what they're not supposed to be. We think men. We sometimes we think being a man means that we have to have these big burly muscles and a gigantic beard and a deep voice, and you know we need to be you know out in the wilderness and you know, howling at the moon type of stuff. That's not what being a man is. That's not what being a man is all. Being a man truly means to be a follower of Christ. That's what it means to be a real man. I mean, we're we're going to go in that a little deeper in just a minute. But me being a man doesn't mean those things. You know, slam dunking and and you know and flexing on people or catching catching a touchdown and and pound your chest and say you're number one. That doesn't make you a man. That doesn't make you a man at all. In my opinion, sometimes those are boy things. There's too many. There's too many men that are acting like boys that are that just they don't know what it means to be a man. But they. But what do we see on TV? That's we praise and we idolize, and we have to be careful with that. Idolize people who have the appearance of men, but are boys on the inside. Verse 19 says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. So uh, we're going to jump to Ephesians 5 here in just a few minutes. So kind of get that ready. But when it says, Husbands, love your wives. Now, too many times, too many times, we think of love in a physical sense, a romanticized sense, and I'm not going to go any deeper than that, but it's turned into this lustful type of quote-unquote love, and that's not love, but it, and that's what I guess that's what it truly is, is lust. But that's not what love is all. So it says, husband, love, love your wives. Let's see what love means in 1 Corinthians 13, which if, you, if, if you've been with us for a long time, we did a three-part series on love and what is love. So if you want to go back and check that out to have a deeper understanding of what love is, truly what love is, I would encourage you to go back there. But 1 Corinthians 13, starting in the fourth verse, listen to this. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Now, husbands, 
Is that the way you love your wife? Is that the way I love my wife? Well, if you're being honest with yourself, the answer to that is obviously 100% no. We want to, but we just can't. Do you see how we're flawed? We're all deeply flawed. Now, that love doesn't mean that it just goes one way. That's talking about wives loving their husbands as well. Speaking of uh, keeping no records of wrongs, ladies, um, next time you want to remember those things that we did wrong, the Bible says not to do that. <laughs> oh, boy. But I think you see where I'm getting at. Husbands, love your wives. Going back to Colossians 3, 19 now. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. That means do not be harsh with them. Do not be angry with them. No matter how long the honeydew list is, men, visiting her mother, forcing us to do family pictures, whatever it is, holding her purse in the, the checkout line, all those things, we don't treat them. We don't treat them harshly. We just read 1 Corinthians 13. That's how we ought to love them. So if we love them, we are not going to be embittered towards them. Verse 20. Oh, this is for the kids. I have four, four boys. They need to hear this. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things. For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Now, as far as children go, being obedient to your parents. This is hard. Because I'm going to say this also. There are many parents who ought not to be parents. Whoa, you just went there. Again, you bet you I went there. There are many parents that do not deserve their children. And I work in a place where I have children who at times have been abused or their mothers have been abused. And I'm telling you right now, uh, those children are still some of the nicest children you'd ever meet. And what a shame, what a shame that is. And it, and it makes, it does make me upset. It does give me that righteous anger. But children must be obedient to their parents in all things. And you as parents need to be people of God, worthy of that respect. Worthy of that obedience. And I tell my kids all the time, I'm I am not the father I want to be. I wish I was better. I pray that God does make me better. And matter of fact, that has turned into one of my prayers. That God make me a better father, just like you are to me. Because when children obey their parents in all things, here's the reason why. Because it is well-pleasing to the Lord, verse 20. Fathers, uh-oh, fathers again? We already got it with husbands. Now we now here we're talking about verse 21 for fathers. Do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Fathers, if you exasperate your children, they will lose heart. Now, exasperate means arouse in anger. Okay. But it also means to provoke. It could also mean. It has the connotation of not stirring up or irritating. So, fathers, we must be very careful not to exasperate our children. 
And I'll tell you what, just kind of let you know my little in my heart here, but I am an antagonist at heart. I play around with people all the time. I prank people. I know listening to this, you wouldn't think that. Um, but if I trust you and I, I'll do those things. But uh, as far as kids go, there are times where I admittedly make things worse than they are. And I have embittered my children and I have went to them and asked for their forgiveness. I did. I have exasperated my children before. I don't say this with a smile on my face. I say it with a uh, humble and beat up heart because I've done those things and I've went to them to forgiveness. And that's a wonderful thing about children is that no matter what you do to them, and this is the sad part, even if, even if you abuse them mentally and physically, and I've never physically or mentally abused my children, but I'm just saying that <clears throat> even those situations that they are still willing to forgive. That is of God, my friends. That is why Christ said, let the ch children come to me. Unless you become like little children, you'll never see the, the kingdom of God. They are so quick to forgive. They are so quick to love. You want to you be uh, felt like you're special and like you're a rock star? Walk into a first grade or kindergarten room. Half a day, they will tell you that they love you and they hug you and that you're like the coolest person they ever met. That is a fact. I've been there. And it's just when they start getting older, then they start realizing that, wow, you're not really worth that, <laughs> that kind of attention and that kind of praise. But, um, but yeah, seriously, though, go into a kindergarten room or first grade room, even be there for an hour. They're going to go up and tell you that they love you and that you're so awesome. You're so special. It's, 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 quite, it's quite a humbling ordeal. But that's how we should be. Well, we don't tell people that we love them. We don't we don't hug people and tell them that they're great and thank them for being awesome. We don't do those things. Little kids do that. And yet we think of them as naive and and whatever. But I tell you what, they they have it figured out and we have it backwards. But fathers, don't exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. That is that would be a failure upon failures for me if I exasperated my children to the point where they lost heart. So I have to be careful. And guess what, people, fathers, that takes work. That takes diligence. That takes you getting off the couch and actually being a part of their lives and not just take them to the Little League on Saturdays. I mean, that's not what we're talking about here. Well, I take my kids to practice. I take them to the Little League on Saturdays. I, I do all those things. No, it's it's deeper than that. The overall goal, the whole overall message that God is sending to us here as husbands, as fathers, and as mothers is that our duty as followers of Christ is to pass righteousness on to the next generation, our kids, and that they pass it on. So our ministry truly begins in the home with our families, with our kids. So as we have begun that ministry, nourished it, nurtured it, poured our whole self into that ministry, it is then that we take that ministry 
outside of the home into this world. Because our ministry truly begins and our top priority is our family first. Then we take it to this dead and dying world. So let's go ahead and go a little bit deeper into the family. Let's go ahead and turn to Ephesians, the fifth chapter. We talked about this a little bit earlier, starting in the 22nd verse. And we're going to go all the way down to verse 33. Starting the 22nd verse, it says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave up himself for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. All right, so let's go ahead and talk about this just a little bit deeper here. Because Ephesians, the fifth chapter, really digs in deep to how the family is supposed to operate and function. And... As we begin in verse 22, we see the same language because Paul also, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote Ephesians as well. And you see some of the similar language here. Being subject to your own husbands. We already talked about that. But at verse 23, it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church. And so as we read that, through the, the husband's authority, it has been established. We've we've already figured that out. The emphasis moves to the supreme responsibility of husbands in regard to their wives, which is to love them with the same unreserved, selfless, sacrificial love that Christ has for his church. Christ gave everything he had, including his own life, for the sake of his church. That is the standard of sacrifice for a husband to love his wife. And I'll tell you, I can go so much deeper into that, but I think we're just going to just talk really briefly about this relationship between husband and wife. We as husbands, our supreme duty is to love our wives, not to lord over them, the authority given to us by God to be the head of the household. But we 
lay down our lives for our wives. And these verses from 22 to 33 give a beautiful description of what Christian marriage is supposed to be about. A Christian husband is to care for his wife with the same devotion that he naturally manifests as he cares for himself. Even more so since his self-sacrificing love causes him to put his wife first. You know, in the end, a husband who loves his wife in these ways brings great blessing to himself from her and from the Lord. And one of the words that stood out to me in verse 29 was nourishes and cherishes. Because this is talking about how we love our wives as we love our own bodies. And notice, if you notice in both of these pieces of Scripture, talking about Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians 3, it's mostly talking about a man's responsibility. Because it says for the, the wife that to be subject and to respect the husband, but man, it goes into a long list of what the man needs to do. So, man, we got some work to do. But... Christ gave himself up for us. He willingly laid down his life for us, his church. And in that same sacrificial agape love, we must do the same thing for our wives. And the wives do the exact same thing for the men, for their husbands. They have to lay down their lives they have to lay down their pride. They have to lay down everything to be subject to another person. And that's what it truly means to follow Christ, is to lay yourself down and let him lead the way. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ, because that's ultimately what we're talking about here. But God doesn't shy away from the family and its responsibilities and its natural function that he intended it to be. Now, let's go to verse 22 in Colossians 3, because this is where things get really touchy. So, verse 22 says, Slaves in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Now, I'm going to say this right now. The Bible never condones slavery. Slavery back in those days most often was willingness to be a slave. Because people didn't have any money, so you would you could go into a family that was wealthy and you would offer your services to them and they would take care of you. You would you would live with them, they would pay you wages to to be a, a servant. And so a lot of times that was a that was a way to almost like a way to have a job. Now there's other types of slavery where a slavery was bought and owned, but as we're reading up about this and we'll have to go through the book of Philemon cuz that was talking about a slave that ran away from their master and Paul was emphasizing to in that situation that you know you need to go back and fulfill the duties uh that you 
that were supposed to be for your master and the master, you have to be loving and forgiving of them. So we're going to dig into this a little bit deeper. So slaves in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external services as those who are merely pleased men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So as we read this, you know, Paul upholds the duties of slaves and masters of which the modern parallel is the duties of employee and employer. Scripture never advocates slavery, but recognizes it as an element of ancient society that could have been more beneficial if slaves and masters had treated one another properly. Here, Paul followed Christ's example and used slavery as a way to explain it for its spiritual instruction. Likening the believer to one who is a slave and servant to Jesus Christ and seeing service to an earthly master as a way to serve the Lord. So this external service we're talking about, this refers to working only when the master is watching, not having integrity because integrity is doing the right thing when no one is watching. Rather than recognizing the Lord is always watching and how our work concerns him. That's the same way that happens today in the workforce, in the workplace. When does most work get done? When the the boss is watching. But our Heavenly Father is always watching. So we must be doing the right thing all the time, even when our boss isn't watching. Because who is watching all the time? God is watching us all the time. And we know the right thing to do, yet we don't do it. And that, my friends, is sin. So that that takes a whole nother level to understand. Whoa, I still have to do the right thing even when my boss is off for the day? Yes, yes, you do. Because in verse 23, whatever you do, do your work heartily. That means work with all of your soul. Going back to verse 23, whatever you do, do your work heartily, all your heart, as for the Lord rather than men. This right there, that's it. This is it. Any job that we have, whether it be a teacher, a preacher, truck driver, police officer, firefighter, Whatever it is that you do, we work with our whole hearts for the Lord rather than men. So some people that go to work and they're so bitter because they hate their job and they it just this work has become difficult and challenging and stressful. Well, we still as Christians ought to be the best workers the most loving workers, the most forgiving workers, the most patient workers, because we are not doing it for the pleasure of our superiors, for our bosses. We don't do it to please men and get rewards for it. We do it to please our Heavenly Father. We work for the Lord rather than men. Verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, our work for the Lord ought to be motivated by pure love and devotion to him. And the inheritance in heaven is our reward. 
And the last part of verse 24, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So that's our motivation. We ought to be the best fathers. We ought to be the best husbands. We ought to be the best wives. We ought to be the best employees. We ought to be the best employers because it is Christ who we are doing it for and Christ whom we serve. Verse 25, for he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. We fix our eyes on Christ and we serve him. And those who do wrong, when it feels like they're going to get away with everything, what does it say in verse 25? They will receive the consequence of that wrong. God is just and vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So we don't have to worry about those things. God will take care of that. God has ordained the family to function and to be what he willed, not what we think it should be. History has shown that people always deviate and turn away from God. The results are what we are seeing today. God didn't ordain two men Two women led houses, homes, families. God didn't ordain divorce. God didn't ordain children to be free to rule the house. Yet the world praises these things and celebrates them as normal. Why? Because Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy what God ordains and takes pleasure in. And we, as followers of Christ, must stay true to the commands and ordinances of God, no matter what the world does or says. There are going to be consequences for us, worldly consequences for us who follow Christ, in the workplace, in our homes, wherever, because there is going to come a time where that will not be tolerated. Your lack of tolerance for what we have established will not be tolerated any longer. And that's a whole different subject in itself. But the overall theme in verses 18 through 25, God ordained the family and he established it because in obedience to God's way will be blessings. There have been many times in my house where things with my children have not gone the way that I hoped it would be. And sometimes my children don't like me because I tell them the truth. But I know that if I don't tell them the truth, they are subject to a very, very difficult, challenging life in which they will deviate from the path of God. And that terrifies me as a father. And so I try as much as I can with being in prayer to my Lord. I try my very best to make sure that I'm passing righteousness on to my children so that they know Christ and that they can stay away from sinful desires that will lead them straight to hell. 
It is my job as a husband to love my wife as myself, to not embitter my children, not to exasperate them, but to put my children and my wife above myself. That in my job, that I am pleasing God rather than men. Not to not to be working when only the boss is watching, but to be diligently doing my job in such a way that is with my whole entire heart, working my absolute best because I fear the Lord, because I am working for Him to glorify Him rather than people. So... This was a rather intense study, if I may say so myself. But the truth of God is the truth of God. Men deviate from it because they want the opposite of what God wants. Because we are unwilling to submit to His way. Because we think we have a better way. That's why children try to deviate from their parents' way. Because they think they have a better way. And they come to find out that they don't. Wow, I should have listened to my parents. I have I have called my parents several times. And I said, I'm sorry for everything I've ever done. And now I see why you did the things you did. But when you're a child, when you act like a child, even when you're adult, you still are acting like a child. You never see what you're meant to see in the light of God. You never see the, the bigger picture. That's why a lot of adults today act like little children. That's why they never grow up. But we are called to spiritual maturity. We are called to be fathers and wives of respect, God-fearing families that put Christ first. And if we have him first, and if we are following him diligently, and we are serving him to the best of our ability, and we are obeying him to the best of our ability, then this ordination of the family becomes a blessing. It becomes it becomes that abundant life that's talked about in the book of John. We don't just have a we don't just have a happy, good life. We have an abundant life. I can tell you right now, I thoroughly enjoy spending time with my wife and my kids and my family as well. We all love spending time with one another. Why is that? Because God ordained it, we follow it, and we reap the rewards and blessings because of it. We have a large family. We laugh. We don't get drunk. We don't get silly. Uh yeah, we make some mistakes here and there, but God is the center. And he, just like we talked about in Colossians 1.17, he holds all things together. He holds my family together. He holds me together. And I cannot thank him enough for that. So if your family is not what it ought to be, that means you have to stop deviating from his way, and you have to lay down your way 
and take up his way. Because his ways are greater than our ways and higher than our ways and are much better than our ways. So I pray that your family is a family that is God-honoring, that is abundant in joy and love and peace and laughter. And the only way that can happen is if you're in Christ. Yeah, you, you see some families like that, but you know how God instituted the family? That's where the true joy lies. I'll tell you right now, this last thing I'm going to leave you with. During COVID, when domestic abuse went up, drunkenness went up, and all these horrible things were just in abundance, our family, we had the time of our lives. We really did. We don't... We don't need external things to make us happy and to make us full, but we actually grew closer as a family because of Christ. And I cannot thank him enough for that. So the overall message in Colossians 3, 18 through 25 is God ordained the family as a man and a woman in marriage in a holy union that he ordained to bear children, to be God-honoring, Christ-centered people that pass righteousness on to the next generation. To love Christ and to love our families the way Christ loved us, the way he loves the church and laid down his life for the church. So with that, I pray that the Lord blesses and keeps you and gives you peace. And until next time, God bless you, my friends.